Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Silence is complacency. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and Chevrolet are teaming up for Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America, and we're inviting you to help. Join me, Carlos Watson, as I talk with key leaders from across the country about race and the American dream. Look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or download The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. Dulce Sloan grew up in Miami, Florida, and knew at the age of six that she wanted to be an actress. Since then, Dulce Sloan became a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and featured on Fox's animated series, The Great North. On this episode of The Carlos Watson Show podcast, Dulce Sloan recalls how she first got involved in the comedy world, her craziest dating experience, and what it's like to work on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Dulce? Hello. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, where are you? I'm in New York. Okay. Is, is that not where you, is that where you've been or why did I think that you were spending more time in Atlanta for some reason? I was just in Atlanta for Thanksgiving, but for, um, for the whole pandemic I've been here. Ooh, and good, is that good, bad, uh, somewhere in between being there as opposed to somewhere else? It is what it is. I mean, you can't go too many places. What did you do for Thanksgiving? Did you did you stay there as well? I went down to Atlanta to my mom's house because um she wouldn't let me come home before. So um she finally let me come home and I stayed home most of the time. We got Vietnamese food for Thanksgiving, so we didn't do all that cooking. Oh, I love that. Well, you, do you remember that I met your mom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, please tell her that I said hello, uh, Miss Emmy Award winning uh, mom. Tell her that uh, that I directly tie the success of that show to her presence there, that it wouldn't have happened otherwise. So she was the magic that uh, lit the spark. I will definitely tell her that. That would make her very happy because she's like, we won any. Do we get trophies? I was like, Mama, I don't think we get trophies. <laughs> so 
She gets she gets I don't know. Love, I didn't know. And then I was like, Mama, I don't think we get trophies. She's like, you should find out. I was like, I don't think we're getting trophies. I think it goes to the production. I don't think it goes. She's like, we was in the production. I was like, I hear what you're saying. But I think individually we don't get one. So she's waiting for her Emmy, basically, Carlos. Now, um, what I loved about the first time that we got together is I realized you grew up in Miami too, at least part of the time. I grew up in Miami. You're one of the few people that know where Richmond Heights is. That's where my family's from. I know where Richmond Heights is, where I went to church. Um, what elementary school did you go to? I went to Palmetto Elementary in Coral Gables. And then I went to R.R. Moton in Perron. So when we left Richmond Heights, so when I, we lived in Richmond Heights, I didn't go to school in Richmond Heights. My mother sent us, my mother took us to another school. Okay, okay. I was going to see if you said Coral Reef Elementary School, which is where I went, um, because I found out on this show that Christy Turlington, the supermodel, was at the same school, and we would have been classmates, except I got kicked out. <laughs> so I wasn't there when she showed up in fifth grade. But maybe you would have been, maybe you would have uh, uh, heard her. She may have been a, uh, a fellow alum if you'd gone to Coral Reef, but that's not the case. Yeah, I don't know why we didn't go to school. In the neighborhood, but when we moved to Perrine, which is, you know, right up the street, uh, P. Ryan, then we went to school in the area. I went to R.R. Moton, and then my brother went to, I think, Perrine Elementary. Now, I can't remember if you told me you were funny as a kid. Were you, uh, did you have that funny gene in uh, junior high and high school? I think so, because, like, I've had, like, different people that I've gone to high school with stay, like, on Facebook. They're like, oh, you were so funny in school. This makes perfect sense. And I was like... Was I funny in school? I wasn't like the, like, we had like class clowns. I wasn't a class clown because I was like, this is going to get me in trouble. So I knew I couldn't get in trouble at school. So I didn't pull out of that class clown stuff. But I would say stuff, but I wasn't like, hey, everybody, look at me. Nah, man, that would get you written up. And the write up was trouble at home. So no, I, I might have said something slick, but I wasn't cracking jokes all day, I don't think. So, so what were you on a path to becoming? Like, if uh, if I talked to you in high school, what did you think you were going to do? Acting, which I'm currently doing. So, I did it. <laughs> oh, so, so you, you always thought you were going to be on the stage. I decided to become an actor when I was six years old. Because why? What, what, what drove you to that? I don't know. Like, my mother said I kind of was always like that. She, um, I don't even remember doing this. She said when I was about, like, four years old, we were, like, in a doctor's office, I think in, like, a either in Atlanta or Colorado when we lived in Colorado. And I was just like, I had like these shoes on. I was just clicking and clacking around this doctor's office, pretending I could tap dance. And this lady in the doctor's, like this lady sitting in the waiting room, she's like, oh, you're tap dancing? You're very good. And my mother said, I turned to her and said, and I never had a lesson. And I'm just click, 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 just around this doctor's office. She said, I've always been a performer. So... And I don't remember doing that, but like I was only like six years old and I just said to my mother one day, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. And she was like, okay, but well, what are you going to do to achieve that? And I was like, I don't know. Um, so I did chorus in school. And um, so like I started singing when I was around like 10 doing chorus and um, middle school, I did theater and high school, I did theater and chorus and college, I got a theater degree. Um, so I've always been a performer. I decided when I was a kid. I was like, this is what I'm doing. So. And was there ever a plan B? Like, what would have happened if it hadn't worked? There wasn't a plan B. <laughs> you were like, I'm going to burn the bridge. I'm good. This is going to work out. 
No, I just because I couldn't imagine, I couldn't do anything else. I just couldn't. And it's just something that just stuck. And I've always had it because, like, my uncle's a performer. Like, my uncle's been singing professionally longer than I've been alive. So, and he still tours. I mean, with COVID, not as much. But, you know, my mother did some performing when she was a kid. She was in a dance troupe. She sang. Um, my uncle, he had a group. And now he's a professional singer. So it was just something that I always had. Plus, my mother never told me to have a plan B. She was like, if this is what you're going to do, put all your energy in it. That actually is very interesting because you're right, Dulce. Most parents, when they hear someone raise a big and tough-to-achieve dream, whether it's performing, sports, what have you, that's interesting. They almost always tell the kid, do a plan B, and you didn't have that, and you just jump right in. It's very interesting because uh, Michael Strahan told me that part of the reason he became a professional football player is that his dad never said if. His dad always kept asking him questions as though it were going to happen. So he said, so what are you going to do to prepare? Because, of course, you're going to get a college scholarship. What are you going to do to prepare? Mm -hmm. Because, of course, you're going to be an all-star and they're coming after you. That's, that's very interesting if you're trained in that mindset. Did, did your mom do the same thing with your, with your siblings? You have a brother, if I remember. Is that right? I have a younger brother, but he he would change what he wanted to do so often. So, you know, he, you know, he wanted to be in, he wanted to be a scientist and then he wanted to be a chef. And then, you know, he wanted to work in computers. So I think since he kind of would change his mind about different things, my mother was as supportive as she could be in whatever he was doing at that particular time that he wanted to do it. So, but like for me, um, you know, I told her I wanted to do this and she would make props for me. She would make costumes for me when I was in shows, especially in high school. Um, if I needed wigs, she'd buy me a wig. She made dresses for me. She'd get whatever I needed in college if I needed anything, getting out of school if I needed anything. So she was always super supportive. It was funny because like one day after it was like I'd graduated, I'd been out of high, I'd been out of college for like four years, and she goes, "You know, it would have been nice for you to take like some business class <laughs> when you was in school." And I was like, "You were eight years too late with this conversation." She's like, "Maybe you could have double majored." Then so she's like, "So you know about the acting and the business side?" And I was like, "Where were you?" Eight years ago. She's like, well, I just thought about it. I was like, I hear you. Um, but yeah, so she, but she's always kind of pushed me. Um, she, when I was younger, she would tell me to practice posing. I was like, she's like, well, you know, you're going to be in magazines and stuff. So you should practice. And my friends were like, she was just trying to get you to be quiet. I was like, huh? and now what she was doing is setting her daughter up to be a star. And so recently I did like the cover of Slink magazine and I like a full spread in the magazine. And I was like, see, and this is what happens when your mother tells you to practice posing. <laughs> she was little, that, like, and people think I'm kidding. I'm like, no, she is not. She said, you're going to be in magazines. You're going to be on TV. You should practice posing. Wait, now your mom, who I know and I love, even though I only met her once, mm -hmm. is she as funny as you are? Is she funny also? Yeah, my mother's a goofball, but my grandma was goofy, too. My mother said that my grandma used to buy uh, these little gag gifts. Like, she would go to, like, to the, like, trick store. And she said, uh, 
One of her memories, my grandma got this little box that had a tiny roll of toilet paper in it. And she tore off a little square and she handed it to my mother. And my mother was like, what's this? And my grandma goes, don't say I never gave you anything. And then she just goes on about her day. <laughs> and then when we were kids, my mother loved the movie Mortal Kombat. So I remember my brother playing in our room and it's dead quiet. We're just playing, being kids. My mother kicks the door and goes, Mortal Kombat! And then just walks away like nothing happened. And we're like, what? And she's like, what? Like, what did you just kick that? I don't know what you're talking about. And then she just went back in the living room. Um, so it's just little stuff like that. Or recently I was talking to her because like I'm just um I was messing with because I was like trying I was I was saying to her, I was like, I wanted to get my lips done, and which I've changed my mind about because everyone in my life has yelled at me. But my, my mother has bigger lips than me. And I said to her one day and I looked at her and I was like, Mommy, how come your lips are bigger than mine? And she just turned to me and very seriously went, we have different parents. And then just continued <laughs> what she was doing. And I started, and I was sitting there, I was like, I started laughing. And then I was like, shit, she's right. That is why we look different. We have different parents. Damn it. And it's just little things like that that she'll just say. It's just very serious, just in the moment. Like, I don't know. Why are you? You heard me. And then she's done. So it's like little, so I kind of think that's kind of where I get like my comedy from because it's kind of silly. But at the same time, it's just very matter of fact of like, yeah, this is what we're doing. I don't understand why you asked me this question. What are you talking? No. So it's, it's I, a lot like that. I think I think all of you funny people come from like a funny tribe. Like I think there's like a whole tribe of just funny people that started out early because Trevor's mom is funny, not just Trevor Noah himself, but he said his mom's even more funny. Chelsea Handler said her dad is funny, just inappropriate, said he's kind of like Trump. I feel like all of you guys, it gets like passed down in the gene pool. Probably. I think so. It's, um, I mean, one of the funniest things that I've done with my mom, and this is like, you know, like a couple years ago, we were at a restaurant in Atlanta on the rooftop, and I'm like taller than her. Not by much, I'm like an inch maybe an inch or two taller than her. And we do this thing where we just kind of like poke each other and just go on. So she poked me and I poked her. And then it was like, get off me, get off me. And then we just had each other on the rooftop of this bar, just kind of slowly like, get off me, get off me, get off me. And there's people looking at because we look enough and like we look like we're siblings. So you just see two grown women on a rooftop bar in Atlanta holding each other by the shoulders going, you stop it, you stop it, get off me, stop! But, and we're giggling the whole time. This is whole table of white people going, what is happening over here? And we're like, hi, get off me, get off me. She's like, you think you can take me? I was like, you'll never take me! So... Wait, now, do you ever bring your mom with you to your comedy performances? And do you ever bring her up on stage or no? Well, she, um, <laughs> one of the comics remembers that uh, I was at an open mic one time. And the thing is, since my mother, whenever she would come, because it's like a club I perform at all the time in Atlanta, my mother always would pay to get in. And even though they didn't want her money, she's like, no, my daughter performs here. I need to, you know, contribute to the club. And at a certain point, they're like, they wouldn't take money from her. And 
when you went into the club, if you had a, um, a real glass, they would pour your drink in a plastic cup. But my mom, since it was my mom, they wouldn't put her drink in a plastic cup. So, you know, it's an open mic. I'm probably doing like seven minutes maybe. And there's uh, this guy who goes on after me who is not having a good set. He's bombing. He's eating every, he's eating it. And my mother is just stirring her drink. And you hear, he's doing so badly. You hear the ice in the glass. <laughs> and she's starting to kind of stirring it. And he goes, wait, am I getting heckled by ice? And she goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not doing well, am I? No, you're not. And it's just clink, 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 clink. He's like, should I finish? He's like, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> clink, 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 clink. And he, to this day, I don't even think the kid does stand up anymore. Because my mother with a glass of ice just ended all of his self-esteem. Ended his entire career. Um, but yeah, she'd come backstage. Like, Bobcat Goldthwait loves her. Um, I was opening him for, on, for him for a weekend. And he was backstage. And there was, like, a full audience. And... Uh, the show is over, and my mother goes, Bobcat, there's people out here to talk to you. He's like, well, I'm I'm kind of tired. And she's like, no, there's people out here to talk to you. Come on, you're going to get... And she made him get up. She's like, there's people that want autographs. There's people that want pictures. You need to come on. And my mother made Bobcat Goldthwait, who's been working as long as I've been alive, get up and go take pictures of people. And then he was, she was there the next night because he asked her to come back. And then I'm bringing him up because I was hosting, and he's like, Hurry up and bring me up. Your mom's bothering me. She's like, I'm not doing nothing. I was like, ladies and gentlemen, Bobcat Goldthwait. And so I brought him out on stage. I love that. Well, he's always asking me about her. And he was like, I couldn't be your stepdad. And I was like, don't you have a girlfriend, Bobcat Goldthwait? So everybody's always That would be outstanding if Bobcat became your stepfather. That'd be outstanding. Listen, he made his choice of dating some other broad. So you know what? That's not in the cards. Uh... That's his decision, honestly. But yeah, it's fun. But everyone loves my mom. The comics are always happy to see her. Um, she's always very encouraging. There's comics she knows here. The comic PDD Abreu, he said to me that he's like, Yo, your mom's be praying for me, yo. She be sending me messages. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> People just want approval from moms. And I guess my mom just carries more weight than other moms. So people are always happy if she thinks they're funny. She's a good one. Who who do you think is funny? Who makes you laugh? Which comedians do you like? Um, honestly, the comedian that makes me laugh the most and then makes me question every joke I've ever written is Baron Vaughn. He Baron do you know Baron Vaughn? I don't. I don't. You now you now you're making me feel like I need to get back in there. Okay. Baron Vaughn, he's on um uh, Grace and Frankie. He plays Bud. Um, so he's the son of Grace and Frankie. They're black son. Um, and he, I opened for him. Grace and Frankie have a black son? How did that happen? Oh, the character that he plays on the show is adopted. So. Okay. Okay. Have you seen Grace and Frankie? This is Lily Tomlin, her character, her son. Yeah, right. Right. Um, Yep. Yep. So he's really been a great mentor to me. He's always been really supportive of me. Just, I remember the first time I saw him in Atlanta and I had probably been like three years in. And I was like featuring for him. And I remember just watching him going, I am never gonna write jokes like this. Like I'm never gonna write jokes like this. I don't know how, like the way that his brain works, the things that he comes up with, 
anytime I'm around him, I'm, so I laugh at him on stage, I laugh at him off stage. Um, but just the way that his brain works and the way he thinks of a joke and the, his joke structure. Like I saw him, do, he, the, his favorite joke of mine that he has is um, we were in, we were in Wilmington, North Carolina at a festival and I was featuring for him. And he does this bit. And he's like, uh, this is my impression of a black woman in the ocean. A black woman in the ocean. And then he just stops and he goes, mm-hmm, 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 And I screamed. I screamed. I was the only, we're in an auditorium. I'm the only person you heard. I was, at my hand, I'm sitting next to another comic, Rojo Perez, who's also on the show, and I love Rojo. And Rojo's like, I was like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm gone. Come get me. Come box me up. It's a wrap. I'm done. Introduce me to Jesus today. I want to meet him. It's over for your girl. Because I was like, ah, because it makes so much sense. He had another joke that he was telling me he was working on, and I I was glad I was parked because I was laughing so hard I would have ran off the road if I was driving. So, but just the way that his thought process is when he writes a joke and just the things that he sees and like he had a show on Comedy Central called New Negroes that I got to do. Um, it was a recurring show that he used to do in LA and he does on the road with Open Mike Eagle. And he's just given a lot of opportunities to black comics that are in the mainstream scene. So, but he's someone, like his album, uh, Raised by Cable, I know every single joke on that album, I'll still listen to it all the time. Wow, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tune into him then. You sounds like he's a younger version of Paul Mooney. I could, yeah, I could give you that. Yeah, definitely. But like, yeah. he's just, yeah, yeah. It's just, he's just, there's some, and then there's another comic by the name of uh, Shalay was Sharp. And she, I was at her first, me and my mom and my brother were at her first album recording, Stay Eating Cookies. And her new album just came out called, uh, Oh, So You Just Out Here. And she, we came up together in Atlanta. And she's another comic where every time I watch her, I'm like, just throw my notebook. Just throw, I, write, I just, notebook's trash. Like, notebook's trash. And we have a very different style, very different performing style, joke writing style. Every time I watch her, I'm like, did I write a joke? Am I doing jokes? Am I saying words? So, and I, lo- I just love her, like, just stage presence and her comedy, which she's so funny. She did Two Dope Queens. I don't know if you saw, she was on Jimmy Fallon doing something with um, uh, Chadwick Boseman. I don't know if you saw that it's uh it was when Black Panther came out, you know, people were talking about how significant the movie is, but the people that are there don't know that Chadwick Boseman is behind the curtain. So Chadwick Boseman comes out and she's talking to them and then Jimmy pops out and she's like, and she just goes, Oh hey Jimmy, and it's just completely dismissive <laughs> to Jimmy Fallon, whose show it is. And Jimmy goes, All right, well, I'll just go over here. We don't we don't need me. And they had this great moment, but the best part was she's just like Oh, hey, Jimmy. So listen, and she's just talking to Chad with both. It's great. So, um, she's and we started at the same time, so it's just great to see people that you started with, and you're still like, do I write jokes? What I say words? <sighs> so yeah, so those are my two favorite comments. You need to have your own late night TV show. I know you got a terrific new podcast. And I know you're on The Daily Show, but you need to have, when you said that just now, and I thought about the choice between no disrespect to Jimmy Fallon, no disrespect at all. But what I thought about, would I rather watch him or would I actually stay up to watch you? I would watch you. Oh, thank you. Could I do that? Could I be a, 
Could I be your David Letterman throwing the cards in the back and having my own little band on the side where I banter with them? It's like, ooh, that's interesting. You would be you would be really good. People would enjoy it. That would be a good time. Because late night right now, and maybe you can't say because you're on with a lot of them, I think it's funny, like literally just talking with you right now. I mean, no disrespect to any of the hardworking people doing that. But it's not nearly as funny as it should be. It's not nearly as fun and as funny. It's it's a little safe. It's a little like it feels like the same thing. I I don't know that I'm going to get anything different from this guy who's not that dissimilar from this guy, not dissimilar from that guy. Yeah. We need to shake it up. Have you seen Amber Ruffin's show? Uh-uh, not yet. Do you like it? I love it. I love Amber Ruffin. She's very funny. Her show's on Peacock. Her show is very different from this from that. I mean, she um, worked on Seth Meyers' show. I think she's still at Seth Meyers' show because she still does a segment. But her show on Peacock is very good because, you know, she'll talk about what's going on in, in you know, the regular current event stuff. But then there's also fun little sketches that she does with um, another guy on the show. And Dwayne Perkins did something the other day. So I really love watching her. So I think if you're looking for something different, because, you know, I don't have no lead night show right now. <laughs> Um, she would definitely, I think she definitely would be what you were looking for because she's hilarious. Silence is complacency. Are you ready to meet the moment? Ozzy and Chevrolet are teaming up for Real Talk, Real Change to help foster racial equality in America, and we're inviting you to help. Join compelling conversations on race and the American dream, hosted by me, Carlos Watson. In these special episodes of The Carlos Watson Show, I'll be joined by key leaders and thinkers from across the country. We'll have pointed conversations to identify problems and arm you with solutions. If you're ready to make an impact, look for The Carlos Watson Show and Real Talk, Real Change on YouTube and subscribe. Or on the audio version, look for The Carlos Watson Show wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to meet the moment. We'll hold a spot for you. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's the most interesting thing you've learned while being on The Daily Show? And I mean that in a wide open way because, yeah, what have you learned? What's the most interesting thing or two you've learned from your experience being on The Daily Show? What's the most interesting thing that I've learned that won't get me in trouble? Uh, I think, I think the most interesting thing that I've learned is that the entertainment industry is still a very... The way that a show works is still a very well-kept secret because there's so many people, even other comics, who don't know how anything works. Because when I got there, I was like, oh, this is, oh, oh, okay. Because I've done shows before. It's one of the few shows that I've seen where it's more than just a writer's room on the stage you're way more involved with all of the other production aspects of it. And, you know, my friends who have worked on sitcoms, there's no office setting for a sitcom if you're a performer on the show. You know, you get your sides, you get, you know, you get your script, and then you go straight to set. With this, we go into an office and have meetings every single day, which I did not think that was going to happen. Cause like, and I said to my mom, cause I, I worked in offices forever once I got out of college. And then I called, when I got there, when I, like my first day after work, I called my mother and I was just like, mommy, you know how I work so hard to get out of an office? She's like, yeah. I said, I hard worked my way back into our office. This was not, this was, this is, this wasn't the plan. Like, I don't want to worry about whose lunch is this. Like I did not, I was like, nah. So that was the thing that was the most interesting because I did not know. The album's going to be back in somebody's office. You understand? I thought I was on TV, and I'm back in the office, and nobody <laughs> told me. Nobody told me. It's not. I thought I was on TV in an office. All over the place. people are lunches, and there's snacks, and, you know, and then there's all the inner office. Ah, ah. I'm sorry. I uh, COVID has made me too honest. But that was the biggest surprise, was finding out. That I work in an office again and going in an office every day and sitting in my office <laughs> and then going to somebody else's office to talk to them about comedy. Like, that's not how you. And then, like, all the correspondents on one side and then the productions in the middle and then the writers on the other side and then productions down and then the actual studio and all the camera guys and hair and makeup, all those are downstairs. 
but yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. So that was the biggest, most interesting thing. And the other thing um, is uh, my friends are always asking me, so do you talk to Trevor every day? I was like, no, he's working. I'm working. Did you see all of your coworkers ever did? No, because we're working. So I don't see him every day. I don't sit up and chit chat and be like, hey, buddy, how's your day? How's your grip? Like, I'm not doing that. Um, and a number of strangers asked me to set me up with, asked me to set me up. I'm not going to help you date that man. That's not my business. That's my boss. And I'm not doing that for you. I'm not going to chuck Willery. I am not your millionaire matchmaker. I am not. I, why would I help you find a man when I, when I don't have a man? You sound stupid. You understand? I'm not helping you date my boss, you goofy broad. Get out of here. So the boldness of women to think that I would help them. That's my boss. Crazy. Plus, if your relationship goes badly, now I have an issue with my boss. Get out of here. No, not helping. Mm -mm. All right. What's the craziest dating story you have? And then I want to turn to your podcast. But first, you got to tell me the craziest dating story you have. Ooh. Well, I will give you the abridged version. So basically, I was dating a young man who worked as a mechanic. And at some point, I had started dating one of his best friends. And then I stopped dating that young man because he quit talking to me. And so because he found another girl he wanted to do things with. And so me and this mechanic still liked each other. So we went back to hanging out again. So I'm on set of the movie Lottery Ticket. I'm an extra, and you'll never see me because I never saw the camera. So I'm on set. I'm talking to this girls, and we've been on set for, hmm, we've been extras holding for like six hours before we even went to set. So you start having real conversations with each other. So this particular young lady, I'm talking to her, come to find out that her current boyfriend I had dated two years before. So I, I quit talking to him. So, of course, she called him because she's a messy person. And I was like, I don't talk to your boyfriend. He's a jerk. Thank you so much. Then we get on set. We keep chatting about the guy that I'm currently dating. And she goes, wait a minute. And then she says where he works. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. So the guy that I was currently dating, she had dated a few years before. And I said, wait a minute. So the, so the best friend that I had dated of the guy, the mechanic I was currently dating. His friend, we'll just nickname him mm, Pretty Boy. Pretty Boy was pretty, but not very smart. And he told me the reason he started dating me was to get back at the mechanic for a girl that had started dating him and then started dating the mechanic. So he started dating me to get back at the mechanic for that girl. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at her and I said, wait, wait, wait. Were you the one that dated the pretty boy and then started dating the mechanic? And she said, yes. And I said, okay. I said, also, when I was on my first date with the mechanic, he said he saw an ex. Was that you? And she said, yes. So this girl who I was on set with, we had three different guys in common. Then we keep chatting, keep talking. And I said, but you look familiar. And she said, I said, where'd you go to high school? And she told me she went to high school and she's like, but I was like, okay. She said, but originally my freshman year, I went to this other high school. Come to find out me and this heifer went to high school together for one year. And then years down the line, we had repeated, we had overlapped 
with with three of the same dude. So you guys should be each other's dating app, basically. No, there can only be one. I should have cut her down as soon as I met her is what should have happened. Um, my birthday is July 4th. Her birthday is July 14th. And so um, I knew she was messy because she's like, oh, my God, we should call the mechanic. I was like, no, thank you. He's a nice man. I don't want to do that. And she's like, well, and we took a picture together being all joking. She's like, well, either you can send a picture or I can post it on Facebook. And I was like, ah, you're a problem. So I sent him the picture. He calls me the next day going, what the hell? Then the perfect cherry on top is that me and her both actresses, correct? Right. So he had never come to a single play that I had done, never gone to a single play that he, she had done. The play that I was currently doing at that time, she had auditioned for the part that I got. Ooh. Then she goes, oh, I want to come see the play. I was like, yeah, girl, come. And she's like, oh, I'm going to ask the mechanic to come with me. I was like, no, because from what I hear, you all didn't end on good terms. Me and him have been on rocky terms from the start, and he's not going to come, right? So then this goofy cow comes to the show because I told her not to ask him. She called me before I asked for a comp ticket. I said, sure. And she was like, oh, and I asked the mechanic if he wanted to come. I said, why would you do that? It's messy. So I called the theater, told her that she didn't have a comp ticket, but she got there as soon as the curtains were opening and they let her in. And she sits down and I see her the entire show. And then when the show is over, she comes up to me and goes, well, yeah, you know, the mechanic came, but he had to leave early. And I said, no, he didn't. I saw you the entire time. (laughs) So my craziest dating story involves this crazy girl and I called him and I was like you know this wasn't my idea to ask you to come to the show right he was like yeah she's nuts and I was like thank you he did eventually come to see me in this play when I was dating someone else ooh mm-hmm. ooh well you have a little bit of a colorful dating life you you know what we have another new TV show that we were about to do on Lifetime that maybe you should be the host of it's called The Science of Dating Oh, can I be a student? Because uh, I don't know. How, listen, um, your girl's been having a rough time when it comes to this here dating. Because the last time I had a boyfriend was <laughs> 2014. So, but I moved to LA in 2020. Like I've, my career's been, I was on the road for two years. I'm still on the road. I'm acting and I'm. Um, it's a. It takes a very interesting man to be okay with the woman that they're with to, you know, not only have the work schedule that I have, but also being on tour because I'm gone at least two weekends a month on the road and then working and doing this and all of that. So I figure this might be the time to trap me one. <laughs> you know, get them COVID tested, get them STD tested. We don't want no problems over here. And then, you know, spend a nice time with a nice young man. Ah. Uh, but, I mean, hey, if you want to teach me how to date, please, because your girl is an amateur, a problem. I don't know what I'm doing. But you are ready to learn and grow, and I like that. Yeah, I'm trying to get me a husband. Listen, I'm 37. I've been le- losing eggs monthly for a long time. I need a husband and a person, okay? I'm trying to get me a husband and a baby. A couple of babies, actually. I've had. I've looked like a mother of three since I was fifteen. I need kids. I need kids. I need a husband. I need all of this lifestyle to make more sense. But the good thing is, my mother is not pressuring me to do any of those things. You know what? That's a good. That's a. 
That's a good mom. We are praying about it. She's not pressuring me. Because a lot of my friends are like, their parents are like, why aren't you getting married? I want grandkids. My mother's like, it'll come when it's supposed to. Because I was engaged years ago, but I got rid of that real quick. I was like, oh, this is, mm-mm. Was, it, was, was he a problem? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the, listen, we met in November and he proposed to me on Valentine's Day. Kind of fast. That's not up to, exactly. And then a month later, I broke off the engagement. And then a month after that, I broke up with him. Because as you keep dating someone, you start to learn more about them. And as I learned more about him and my new family, uh, I had to get rid of it. One, Carlos, my children would have been ugly. They would have been ugly. (laughs) And my mother would not have allowed that. Uh, on, on behalf of him and those kids, I'm outraged. But okay, <laughs> okay, there's still them kids is- don't exist, Carlos. You ain't got to be worried about them kids. Them kids never came to fruition. Okay, <laughs> them kids don't exist. Nobody entered the earth through me. They're not here. I have saved the world from these monsters that would have come from my womb. You're welcome. All right, who is your celebrity crush? Who should I be setting you up with? Ah. Uh, well, one, the Daily Show is always talking about me and my love for Idris Elba. That man is married, and that, his wife looks scrappy, uh, so I don't want no problem. Um, ooh, let's see. Man, married. I do like that uh, John David Washington young man. He's cute. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Okay, that's a nice observation. Denzel's son, former football player. Indeed. Okay. And what's funny is that my, one of my uh, cousins graduated with his son. Oh, so you have a little family connection there. Kind of, maybe. I don't know. I'll play it if I have to. Um, they graduated the same year. At, we were at Morehouse at 9 a.m. on a Sunday. I'm like, ooh, I don't even think Jesus is up, especially not for this wet grass. Um, him. Ooh, did you see P-Valley on Still Time? No. This man is Beautiful. Oh, hold on. I got to find his name because as soon as he came on the screen, my ovaries moved. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> but you know, but I, I I, love it. I love it. I love the sound of that. <laughs> Sounds all kinds of good. I'm so, as soon as I saw my ovaries, wait, get him. Like, ah, yeah. Yes. That t- I don't know what his status is, but oh, hmm. He didn't even got to be him. If it's somebody that's just his well, friend. Wait, what's his name? What's his name? Give me his name. Tyler Lepley. Yes. Tyler Lepley. All right, he's he's an ovary mover. Oh, yeah. That's, I would, I'd tackle you for, you see him? You see him? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. I do. I do. But, but you know he's what? Handsome. That's good. You like the light skins. You like the dark skins. You like them all. I like a man is what I'm here for, okay? I don't have to. The first guy I ever dated was from El Salvador. I don't care, okay? Listen, Salvadorians, they're Dominicans, black dudes, white dudes. I was hanging out with a Filipino dude for about 20 minutes. So, yeah, I don't care. As long as he's nice to me and he ain't broke. <laughs> that, you know, that's going to become the new T-shirt. As long as he's nice to me and he ain't broke, I hope so. <laughs> right. And, you know. Nice, and I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm 37. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. A nice personality is great, but if his is trash, why am Why am I talking to you? I mean, I don't know if this is a family Christian show, but uh, God knows my heart. Um, I love that. That is those answers to you. All right, they're gonna kill me if I don't ask you about this funny ass podcast. Um, 
And I use that phrase purposely because I know that's close to the name of, of the podcast. Tell me about your podcast. Uh, my podcast is called That Black Ass Show. It's on Starburns Audio. Um, and you can listen to it on Spotify, on the iTunes, on the Apples, all of that. Um, but I interview black creatives about their favorite black TV shows and movies. So um, I talked to uh, Baron Vaughn about uh, Robert Townsend. And we talked about Meteor Marin, uh, The Five Heartbeats, and Hollywood Shuffle. Um, I talked to Tiffany Haddish about Inkwell and uh, 227. Yes. Um, but the thing that's been really good about it is that you get to see not only like the mo- the favorite movies, but why they're their favorite movies or TV shows. Uh, like a comic, one of my good friends, Derek Gaines, he talked about Martin and he said that the TV show Martin is the reason he wanted to become a stand-up comic and become a performer because he had never seen his mother laugh that hard at anything. Oh, I love hearing that. And he's like, I want to make my mom laugh like that. I want to make people laugh like that. And so what about you? What, 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 um, I, I know you told me that you always wanted to be a performer. And I know you told me that your mom encouraged you. But you didn't tell me why you broke through. Like, there must be a backstory Because lots of people have a dream but don't always make that dream come true. What was your break? Did you have a big break? Did you have a special mentor? Did Was there like some crazy opportunity that happened? How did you end up breaking through? Well, people, I think, ask performers that question a lot. And the only answer I can give you is favor isn't fair. Is the real answer. Favor isn't fair. So there are other people who are as talented as me that aren't getting the breaks that I'm getting. And honestly, you know, comics will ask me and it's like, I can't give you cheat codes. I can't, I don't, because this isn't one of those jobs where it's input in and input out. You know what I mean? So like there are comics who started after me, who got late night spots before me or touring before me, but now I'm in a different position than them. So all you can do, especially when it comes to entertainment and stand up and acting and singing and all of this is all you can do is just work as hard as you possibly can because you don't know. But I, and there has to be, and I think that's where the term like star quality comes from because just as a comic, like you can watch certain people and go, this person's very funny. And then you get frustrated. It's like, well, why aren't they getting late night? Why aren't they getting this? Why aren't they getting that? And other comics would be like, well, he should have, they don't have management. They don't have like, and you get so confused when you see really talented people that aren't getting things. And you see people who aren't, aren't as talented getting opportunities. And you're like, I don't know how any of this works. And I know there's people that make a lot of money trying to explain to people, this is how you get ahead and entertain. And you, the, the fact of the matter is, There's just something in you as a person that is that thing that is that spark that people want to see. Because I've seen very funny comics, but I didn't want to watch them, if that makes sense. As a comic, I wanted to watch them, and they're very funny, but you see the audience not connecting with them. And you're like, why aren't you, why aren't you listening? He was so much funnier than the last dude, but that last dude or that last person had something about them that you did that was captivating, that you wanted to watch about them. 
but they weren't as funny as the person that went after them. So there is something to you as a person that is the other ingredient to this. Because I've seen very funny, talented people who, who you know, don't get huge. And it's so confusing. But you've never gotten discouraged by it. Like, like there are people who could see the stuff that you've seen and see really talented people not getting shots and see other people shooting ahead and not only get confused but get discouraged. But am I reading right that you've not gotten discouraged or you have gotten discouraged but you've moved on anyhow? I mean, I, got fr- I would get frustrated, but a lot of times I, I just go to myself, that doesn't apply to me because it couldn't apply. It's, I had to want it more than anybody else wanted it for me. Because I've also seen people who are very talented and could do it and had that thing about them where you're like, oh, they could be huge, but they didn't want it. Like, I know a comic, we'd be like, yo, dude, you got to keep performing. You got, And he just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's the other thing where it's just like, you have to want, I couldn't do anything else. Because I get to those points where you just get really frustrated and... Because, you know, after doing stand-up for Atlanta two, three, four, five years, it's after a year, I was a regular at clubs in the city. I started to go on the road just in the South. And I was like, what is the next, what is the next step? What, what is the next thing to do? So there's those moments where you feel stuck and you don't know, and you're just kind of trudging along, but it's like, you know, people want to say someone's an overnight success. No one is an overnight success. It's literally not possible. Because especially as a performer, you have to get training. You have to have experience. You have to have a resume. So when people say overnight success, what you don't know is that person's been working 5, 10, 15 years to get what other things. Like, they, like people think that, you know, I got Daily Show in 2017 this girl was in an interview. She's like, yo, you just started doing stand-up in 2015. I did get Daily Show so fast. I was like, girl, you did no research. I've been doing stand-up since 2009. I've been acting since I was a child. Also, journalists, when you interview people, do re- read something. Google whoever you're about to talk to. <laughs> it is too easy. I was like, listen, I get it. You work for a website. But also, you use the internet. Google somebody before you interview them. One thing I'm never going to get back is my time. You rude human. The hell is wrong with you? But anyway, um, so you see, it's it's confusing. It's it's sometimes it's that's why I'm so thankful to be where I am and to be doing what I'm doing because I remember just being so frustrated and just being like. Having those moments where I'm like, should I be doing something else? Maybe I could do something else. And then I would think through the things that else I could do, and I'm just like, I can't do anything else. So I tried, as an adult, I tried to give myself a plan B, but I was already hardwired to where plan B was not an option. You can't do, for me to be truly happy in my existence as a person, because the only other thing you do longer than working is breathing. It's the only thing you've ever done longer is being alive. So the day that you're born, you're a child for a very short amount of time, and then you work till you die. 
You're in school till you're 18 or 22 and then you work till you die and you don't know when that's going to be. So I don't want to get up every day going somewhere that I'm not happy to go. I did that already. So this was it, not doing this was not an option. But again, I can't tell people who think the exact same way how to get to what they want. It's not. That's why the only way I can say it is favor isn't fair because I can't. If I knew that, then I would tap, then I would go, then I, people around me that I see that, you know, aren't on the road working a very funny comics, but aren't getting, you know, don't have management and don't have this and don't have that. I'd be going, go, go. And I'd be sharing them cheat codes with the people around me so they wouldn't be so frustrated with where they are currently. I don't know how to tell anybody else because I can't tell the people that I love around me. You know, but that's that that that's that's honest though, and it's it it probably is hard and heartbreaking and confusing for a lot of people because there is a lot of mythology, a lot of fairy tales, a lot of stories we tell ourselves, whether we call it a meritocracy or other things, that may make people feel like there is a straight path. And part of what you're saying is there's not that there are a lot of mixed ingredients, and even still, uh, it's not clear how it worked out. Definitely, because I never had any intention of being a stand-up comedian. None. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You had an intention of being an actress, and then what happened? Another comic told me I was a comic. And Big Kenny in Atlanta, I would go hang out at a comedy club um, in North Atlanta because one of my little sisters from college worked the door, so she let me in for free. And I met Big Kenny and some other comics, and just from talking to them in conversation, they were like, you're really funny, you should do the open mic. And I was like, no, thank you, I'm an actor. And uh, Big Kenny just kept, pressing me and he was teaching a stand-up class and um 2009 wasn't working because it was the great recession and the classes start i took a sketch comedy class and it was either take a sketch comedy class or the stand-up class and you know big kenny hit me up again and i was like dude i don't have 300 dollars for this class i'm on unemployment and he's like oh it's my class you're not gonna pay come do this so he put me in the class and taught me how to because he said to me he was like I know you know what funny is. I know you know what a punchline is because you know how to tell a story. You know where a punchline is in a story. You just have to figure out how to apply that to more of a joke structure and to be able to do that repeatedly about different subject matters. So he taught me how to write a joke um, and what a premise is, what a setup is, what, how to you know string that together and how to take these ideas that I have and these stories that I have and condense them and take you know, economy of words and all of those things, even though hmm, I think you can tell from this interview, I have them still working on economy of words, but that's how I got into it. And it's interesting. Like I was saying, it's interesting for someone else to see something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And then for you to be successful at that, because once I realized I was good at it then I was like, okay, well, let's see where this goes. Cause my mom, you know, big Kenny met my mom and he would talk to her about it. And the thing that really pushed me to do it was my mother said she had a dream about me doing stand-up before I took the stand-up class. So, you know, she told me what happened in the dream. It was a dream of me doing stand-up, of me being on stage and a bunch of people laughing at me. And she said she didn't understand the dream. She told me about it. And she's like, I think that means you're supposed to be a comic. And I was like, well, let's just see what happens. But because I listened to someone who was further along with me, someone who was working and someone who saw in me potential to be good in another type of performing because I listened to him and because I listened to my mother and wasn't stuck in the, I'm an actor, let's just see. It was like, well, let's just, you know, I'd take an improv, like before that I'd been doing two years with an improv troupe. So I was like, well, you know what? Mom in a dream, but Kenny thinks I should do this. His other comics think I should do this. Let me just try this out and see how it works. And I was good at it. And so I kept doing it. And then just being around comics, I felt like, oh, this is a group of people who finally understand me, understand who I am as a person. Because I'd been around, you know, what comics call civilians. Um, 
being in offense jobs and them not really understanding me and then uh, being around actors and improvisers and, you know, it, it, these were my people, but there was just something that was still kind of like off. Like I think about like a puzzle piece, like the pattern is right and you put it in the space, but it doesn't just, it doesn't lay flat. It still kind of sits like off kilter. And then I got around comics and I was like, yeah, these are the dum-dums that I'm, these, <laughs> they get me. I get them for the most part. But I was comfortable with myself. I was comfortable performing. And then, you know, Big Kenny said to me, he's like, because I grew up doing theater and being on stage, I had stage presence. I knew where the light was. I knew to plant my feet. So that performance aspect I already had. So I was already winning when I started because it was like, I already knew how to be on stage. I already knew how to fill up whether I'm standing on a pallet in a brewery or I'm in a, you know, 3000 seat theater. I already know how to fill up a stage. Now I have to just learn how to tell jokes. And that's still something I'm figuring out. Um, because you still have these things in your brain that you're trying to get out. And sometimes people don't get it. Because sometimes, but as a comic, sometimes there's just jokes in your set that are just funny to you. Especially if you're doing like an hour. Right. You need those little moments where you're just like, this is my silly little thing. I've been on shows and said stuff like, y'all don't have to get it. It wasn't for you. It was for me. And then you keep going. But yeah, it was because someone saw that I was in me. But because I listened to Big Kenny and to my mom, you know, that's when things like 2015, you know, I started doing festivals and I got new faces and I got a college agent. And all, in 2015, everything changed for me. Everything changed for me. Um, and so, but getting the agent, then I started, you know, like getting my manager, then I started getting these better acting auditions than, you know, those things that I was doing in Atlanta. And I couldn't really go to auditions in Atlanta because I had to work a day job. So, but the boss I had at my day job where I was working, she let me take 13 days off of work. I was only supposed to be able to take five off. She let me take off 13 days to, you know, go to four comedy festivals and three um, college conferences to do stand-up at colleges all over the country. Um, And so she was really supportive of me. I also owe this woman a Mercedes. But the point is, she was supportive. So I had all these people around me who wanted to see me succeed. And because I had those people who were pushing me and helping me, I was able to get to where I am now, where it's talking to you and suffering through the city known as New York. Dulce, you know what? I I really hope that you will pursue your own late night show because I think you will be a smash hit. And I think that you, you know how you talked about that friend of yours who loves seeing his mom laugh? I think you will bring so much joy into people's hearts. And we are going to do Ozzy Fest this year. And so you have to come. And I want you on that main big stage. Just make it. Wait, what if it's for 2021? <laughs> We're going to try it. We got to. For 2021. 2021 in August. What about the COVID? <laughs> we we got to let COVID go away. We got to let COVID go away. We got to share some vaccine with everybody, get everybody healthy, and then we need, we need to celebrate being healthy. 
Listen, you know, I remember Tuskegee. I ain't taking it out on the first round. You're not going to get me. <laughs> you can catch me on the third round. Y'all ain't even got enough refrigeration for that vaccine yet. Catch me on the second or third round when y'all get to us. Y'all, y'all can give me a second. But speaking of Ozzy yeah. Fest getting canceled the first time, I ta- I ended up with a joke about that. No, you didn't. Because I remember it got canceled because it was too hot. Right. And I called my mother in Atlanta, Georgia. I said, Mommy. So, yeah, I said, this festival that I'm doing got canceled. She said, why? I said, because it was too hot. She's like, girl, what you mean? I said, Mommy. It's going to be too hot in New York for them to do this festival. And she said, girl, what's it going to be like 100, 105? I said, mama, it's going to be 93 degrees. And she laughed for 10 minutes <laughs> because she's from Georgia. You know how many outdoor festivals I've been when it was 100 degrees outside? You know what we do? You stand in the stage, you give somebody a watermelon, and you live your life. That's what happens in Georgia at a summertime festival. There's babies out here. And you in the city of New York going to cancel a festival because it was 95 degrees outside? You Yankee Y'all talk all this about people not handling snow. You know what happens when it snows? You need special tires. You need trucks. You need salt. You know what you do when it's hot? You sit. Damn, that's all they needed to do. It's not move. You canceled a whole thing. Fa- all y'all had to do was not move. That's it. Y'all can stop talking all of this mess about the South of Snow because New York canceled the festival because it was going to be 90 something degrees. Well, we've got, we've got things shooting water and it just be still. You know, like jazz festivals, Sweet Arbor Festival, Dogwood Festivals, Book Festival in the city of Atlanta that I've been to as a child. It was 100 degrees outside. They give you water and a popsicle. Ghost it down. Did you pee all day? No, you can't because there's no fluids in your body. But you had a fun time. You got a tote bag and maybe a Pizza Hut coupon. You went on about your damn life. Bunch of Yankees telling me it's too hot to stand still. The hell are you talking about? Uh, you know what? I'm going to have you talk to de Blasio with me next time. I love that. I love that. Uh, Dulce, I'm going to let you go, but only for a minute because I'm going to follow up with you. I'm going to follow up to take care of your mom because we got to take care of mom first and because we have more jokes to do together this is all kinds of funny thank you for coming on the show you know i appreciate you you made me laugh too much actually made my sides hurt which is good you made my sides hurt so (laughs) i did thank you i would just like to thank first of all just like to thank jesus for the talent that he has given me and i would just like to thank my mama for birthing your girl you know we just out here expressing the children no, thank you. <laughs> uh, Dulce, you, well, for those of you who don't know, the name Dulce means sweet thing, yes? It means sweet. It means sweet or it means candy. It's Spanish. Well, you know what? Uh, plenty of candy here. Thank you. Be good. Don't go anywhere. Make sure that you come back and see me again, and I'm going to come find you. Thank you. Bye, Carlos. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If 
a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in-ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below-market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in-ready home and start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.